Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Streams of Winter. Live Stream 6. Brand Star. Hello and welcome to the Streams of Winter. I'm Yoke Boy and we are Radio Westeros and thanks so much for tuning in to our live stream today. At this moment there are more important things going on in the world but today we're offering one hour of healthy Westerosi escapism for anyone that needs it. This afternoon we'll be focusing on none other than young Bran Stark in the Winds of Winter. What will be Bran's role in the upcoming book? To help me answer that, I'm here with the other half of Radio Westeros, Lady Gwyn. Hey, hey everyone. Thank you for being here today. Happy to see you all. Uh, I want to say that since we saw you last week, um, it has been a difficult week in America and around the world. And a lot of us have been thinking very deeply about ways um, that we can make meaningful change in this world. And I think that specifically in our fandom, we all want to make sure that we're creating a safe and welcoming space for people of color. So to our Black fans, we see you. We believe Black Lives Matter. And in the upcoming days, we are going to take time and we encourage all of you all to take time as well to really listen and reflect on ways that uh, we can make things better. And we obviously would welcome any input into that. So, of course, don't forget to love each other. Uh, speaking of love, we do love our guest for today. We are very happy to welcome back to the podcast Zach Louie from Game of Owns. Welcome back to Radio Astro, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me. I love you guys too. It's so fun. I was going to say when we were just starting putting the stream together, I'm so glad you guys asked me to be on this topic for this episode today. It seems almost perfect. This is the kind of stuff from the store that I really, really, really love. And it was fun going through all your questions. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you. We think you're a good guest for this one. So. Thanks for being here. Um, before we get started, just the usual spoilers note. Um, spoilers all books, of course. Winds of Winter, sample chapters, fragments. Um, and uh, even though y'all probably know we don't usually talk about the show in these live streams, uh, we do. So um, yeah, anything is fair game. And having said that, let's uh, kick it back over to Yoke Boy to get us started. Okay, so let's go through some brand-related talking points that I've cooked up. Oh, and I want to begin with this question for both of you. Early on in A Game of Thrones, Ned says to Bran, the only time a man can be brave is when he's afraid. So does this quote in one sentence really sum up Bran's story? To what extent is this a coming-of-age story about overcoming fear lady gwyn yeah um well i think a hundred percent really it's always been um my opinion that uh brand's arc and you know also to a certain extent his sisters uh, will be kind of that classic trope of literature uh, which is often actually kids lit um where the kid overcomes many obstacles to save the day without the benefit of any parents slash adults being present. So that 
is often accomplished um, by the kid remembering that one valuable lesson or piece of advice that they get early on um, from an adult who then vanishes from the story, such as those words uh, from Ned to Bran in what is the only on-page interaction that we get to see between the father and son. Well, that's an amazing factoid, that one. I had to really rack my brain to try and disprove it, but I couldn't. And I like what you say about Bran's story being a typical child's story, because it's it's very, very dark. But if you take away that darkness, the kind of notes of his journey are just typical of a, a children's story. What do you think of, uh, about darkness, Zach, in Bran's story? I think that he's... a. Uh he's always headed toward the darkness, but not necessarily in a negative connotation, just that he has really no idea where he's going. He's been given these small pieces of information from his visions at the beginning of the story and then more along the way. And then now that we're actually there, we have a firsthand account of actually physically meeting the person that was laying those breadcrumbs before. And we still don't have answers. We don't know everything about his companions. We don't know everything about where he's, where he physically is. And we still don't know what the destination is after this, because we're only five books into the story and we're at the place that was sort of like, it was the end goal originally. So we're in this weird stasis of, well, now we're there. What do we do? So I don't really, I don't necessarily think that it's, that his, uh, that his situation is dark because it's dark. I just think that things are dark. And he doesn't know what he's doing necessarily, but that the line that Ned talked about at the beginning of the story with him about bravery, I think that his, the function of what he's doing, he's always making a brave choice because he's operating within a place of mystery because he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's trusting his gut. And that's kind of like what bravery is doing the, the gut trusting and then actually inhabiting the role of fulfilling your not necessarily your destiny but the decisions that you said you were gonna do like he went to the tree and he didn't have to but i mean it was it took a long way to get there you know what i mean like yeah and what a leap of faith to to go and do that for a for a young lad and when i was rereading bran uh, recently something that stuck out at me was cold hands is described as a monster, yet he's a monster on Bran's side. Lady Gwyn, what does that tell us? Uh, well, I think, you know, I just think that perhaps Bran will have a slightly different relationship with monsters than we might see in a typical monster story. Um, he does have one of his own, after all. So I mean, what else will he be able to do? Um, maybe that's telling us that the sky's the limit. Okay, have you got anything to add, Zach? I think that his his role with Cold Hands is interesting because Cold Hands is, through Bran's perspective, not that intimidating, but I feel like through someone that would be his enemy, he would be extremely intimidating. But as a monster to Bran, he's sort of, not necessarily his servant, but like almost a servant to the cause that Bran is set upon as well. And that leads me to believe that just based on the scale of everything, through Bran's perspective, it doesn't seem as important or as powerful as it is because he's just a kid and he's trying to make it there. But in reality, if another character was with uh, some kind of a white in the story based on what we know about the whites, that's communicating with you, that's your friend, that's helping you, you're probably a really important person or at least important to a really important person's story. And since he's connected to said important person, Brendan Rivers, who's instilling a lot of this teaching upon him, it makes me think that because there's so much story left that he's, like you said, Jen, he's definitely going to have time and work with other I, don't, I hate to call them monsters, but just other life that is so intimidating and misunderstood to people that aren't as strong or as potentially powerful and creepy ways as Bran. Like, not as relatable to other people, but to Bran, it's relatable because he sees weird stuff and he talks to trees. He he has seen weird stuff. And it's funny because at the beginning of his journey, he was hearing about all of this stuff in kind of fairy tales you know from bedtime yeah. stories from like from old nightmare stories N yeah. now he's now he's seeing it for himself 
And he's like feeding him. He's giving, he's helping him cook dinner. One of those actual people. And it doesn't even seem like he could be an other from that story because he's so real. He's your, he's your companion. It's, that's a, those stretch of chapters are so interesting to me. And when he's north of the wall after he makes it through the black gate, because it seems so basic. He's just, it's almost survival in a way. But when you really think about the context of who he's interacting with and what they're doing, it's, some of the most exciting stuff in the book to me. Good, great thoughts, Zach. And I want to continue with the theme of darkness a little bit more before we uh, move on to brighter pastures. In A Storm of Swords and beyond, we see instances of Bran warging Hodor or skin-changing him. He has already eaten the flesh of men as a wolf, and perhaps Cold Hands was serving him those dead mutineers, when he's in human form. How much of this is essential survival and Bran just, you know, trying to make it through the day? And how much speaks to a darkness evolving in Bran, if that's the case? What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Well, this is interesting because I I think that um, cannibalism, as a theme comes up a lot in A Dance with Dragons. Um, it's at least mentioned in Asha, Theon, Davos, Sam, John, Bran. Um, we also get to see Arya, like Bran, consuming human flesh uh, as a wolf. In short, more or less all of the Northern uh, POV characters um, have at least some mention somehow, direct or indirect, of cannibalism. Uh, I think this is setting up an essential theme for the Winds of Winter uh, and specific to Bran. Hopefully we'll see him being instructed about and confronting the issue of violating um, these taboos with regard to skin changing, which are laid out for us at the beginning of A Dance with Dragons in the Varamir prologue. And then we proceed to see Bran violating several of them. So um, hopefully, you know, what this actually speaks to is how much he needs Blood Raven, a teacher. Uh, so, otherwise, you know, I think he could. We could see him going pretty far down a dark path if he didn't have that uh, mentorship there for him. Okay, and another pertinent issue that the fandom discusses is Jojen Paste. Zach, you were going to say something about. Jojen Pace, whether or not it's a thing and what it could represent. Yeah. Well, Lady G, timely, but opposite of what I mean. In the moment, you were just ta- you were just talking about if if uh, or like whether like maybe he's eaten long pig at this point. Let's say he has. If if Jojen Pace ends up being real or not real, he could almost face the skit. The question is basically about how real everything is, or at least that's how I sort of put the partaking in flesh of your own kind in. It's almost necessary at that point. If later it's revealed to him that part of his transformation into understanding more about his skills or or literally just communing with the tree in general was Jojen Pace, that would be such an interesting sort of moral conundrum for him later because he got so much from it and yet it's such a big sacrifice. And I think that if, if that ends up being what it is, if he's aware of it and still continues to sort of play in that arena, then, then definitely brands headed sort towards some kind of a dark path. But I know that we're going to talk more about it later uh, with, with more of these questions, but just in general, his, uh, his, acceptance of what he's doing i think has a lot to do with how necessary blood raven makes it seem you know like if, if it's let's he might learn about the about jojen paste later after blood raven's not around anymore if if that happens and then he'll have to make a decision on his own but i feel like if blood raven's around when something like that gets talked about or even if just the idea of doing something as harsh and brutal as eating the flesh of creatures like yourself or sacrificing life to basically keep you alive or to get you closer to your goal. I think that blood raven would be more likely to 
try to almost like a, a cult leader, like tell him it's okay and sort of lead him toward that destination. But in general, I think that George R. R. Martin does a really good job of making his stories feel very complete and doing so he, or a part of doing that, he takes elements of nature, which in this case could be a physical person, not just an animal or vegetation coming off of a plant that is part of the survival in the world, which really makes it real to me. So in general, it just feels really real. Even, even if it's not about some kind of larger, greater, mysterious cause, just the fact that that kind of stuff is happening, it says a lot about where they are in the North. So it just seems really real and potentially scary and dangerous. But there's cold hands there the whole time. So I feel like it's got to have some creepy, mysterious element to it that we don't know about yet. <laughs> you know? It's not like they were just surviving. It's like, uh, yeah, a, a guy like cold hands also helping you out with that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so some potentially really dark stuff going on. Yeah, uh, potentially really dark. This is really, yeah. you know, really but, dark conversation. You know, Jojen Paste is still a, a theory, but we'll we'll have to see. Um, so what I was thinking was Blood Raven actually tells Bran outright to you know suck it up, embrace the darkness. Embrace the darkness. What what does that mean? It's ambiguous, Lady Gwyn. What, but what do you think is the meaning? Well, I think of this more like kind of fatherly or mentorly advice, um, kind of along the lines of Ned's advice that we opened with. I, I, actually, this embracing the darkness could really be viewed, if you turn it around a little bit, as a rephrased version of the only time a man can be brave is when he's afraid. Um, it literally, I think, means something like embrace the fear. So. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. It doesn't necessarily mean that Bran has to kind of march into complete darkness. So on the subject of Bloodraven, what, what is the purpose of this guy in Bran's arc? Because he went a long way to, to go to that cave through all kinds of conditions and risks so why why Bloodraven? What does he represent as a character? To he's obviously going to serve Bran's story. What does that mean, Lady Gwyn? Bloodraven's purpose is, I think, he's the wise mentor uh, in Bran's arc. You know, he's passing along knowledge and information, um, and he's going to do that before uh, fading away to let our hero cross the finish line on his own. Um, He's a darker Dumbledore, or if you will, a Gandalf the Greyer. Wow, you've hit three, an intersection of three classic fantasy stories. Patrick! What do you think, Zach? <laughs> what, what, what do you make of nice. Bloodraven? I love that you wrote darker Dumbledore. This, it's a, it's, it's a good aesthetic. Um, I'm trying to see what I wrote down in your doc. Can have okay, cool. Um. I think that just as a darker Dumbledore, he could be someone that we don't know and it would still be fun. And I think that we would still think it was good, even if he was a nondescript person that we perhaps found out was uh, like a ranger from the Night's Watch that was sidetracked once and got lost. I don't know. Maybe there's like a, I don't know. It makes, it has to be, he has to be someone awesome. So it makes more sense that it's someone like Brandon Rivers and we think about where he's from being so close to a place like Raventree, it just ties everything back to the whole story. And, and I don't know, it just, for me, the fact that that is the case for him personally, but also that through him and through things like Fire and Blood and the World of Ice and Fire, we can get context on older characters. I love that whenever you get to this point in Brand's story, that there's so much more and it just keeps going. I, I'm going to shout out History of Westeros right now. I uh, filmed their episode titled The Three-Eyed Blood Raven. And so editing that and going through all the stuff that Aziz wrote down um, that he looked into about Brendan Rivers, it I, I think about the kind of person he is. And so after that point in my journey with the story, Brand's stuff just has this huge body of extra texture and weight and importance because I know who's there and I know the importance of it. It's 
you, you said Dumbledore. I'm thinking now if you would have had the perspective of his personal story that you get in the dump uh, at the beginning of the seventh book throughout the whole story. Now that I have, I'm actually doing a reread right now. So I'm, I'm always applying that kind of stuff and trying to, trying to keep it at the top of mind about how he's like interacting with Harry during the mirror of air said moment inside of that abandoned classroom, knowing all of that weight, it's kind of like Brendan Rivers's first interactions with Bran, not to the vision because he's inherently mysterious, but in the physical presence, he's being as normal and as non-invasive as he can while, while being a guy that's hooked yeah, into a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So blood Raven is a kind of mystical character. He ties the Duncan Egg stories to the the series proper, doesn't he? And he'll continue to do so. And he's also a mentor for Bran, so he does serve numerous purposes. He's a heck of an interesting character. Maybe we'll have to do an episode on him one day. And on the subject of Bloodraven, patron Multude wonders how much of the Northern lore do do we think he was aware of because now he's obviously in a position where he he seems like he's he wants to take on the others perhaps it's still a bit ambiguous but we get that impression that, that that's his stance so how much of this kind of law was was he aware of when he uh before he went up north to become lord commander and so on have you got any thoughts there zach I feel like I used to know more about this. I tried to look up information, but I couldn't find anything substantial. So I feel like we have Easter eggs around the story and hopefully someone in the in the chat. I can't see that right now, but hopefully someone can fact check me on this. I, all I can come back is from my impression. I know that he was not excited about going to the wall, or at least that was the vibe. But with with a company like the Raven's Teeth and with having the personality like he has, I have a feeling that he's the kind of person that sort of takes everything that he's doing to the end of the possible end of it. And if he's there at the wall and that's where he has to stay because of the rules of Westeros, I think that between the library and between ranging and between rising through the ranks that learning about stuff and whatever stories he heard about when he was a kid. I also think he was smart enough to sort of pick and choose and bring the facts out of it. As he aged, he probably knew that there was more to whatever there was and being so close to all of that, if anything, just traversed to the end of it. But I can't remember what he knew. Honestly, I, do you guys know, did, did he have, was it something that he stumbled upon when he was there or was it just like stories? Like I said, that he related later on. Well, one thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, he's a magician. He, These people, like Melisandre and like Bloodraven, I think they study very hard. And this is the kind of shit they would be reading, right? Don't you think they would they want to know about the, you know, the great mysteries of the world? So just going on on that logic. Yeah, of course. It's like the place you'd want to go, honestly. Like, I... Was he that mad about going to the wall? This is all stuff that I'd have to ask him, but I feel like it's written down somewhere in some of the, the expanded universe materials as well, but I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I would say that, you know, coming from the Riverlands, he was, I, I don't know that there's any, you know, specific evidence of this, but he probably would have been, uh, you know, with his reputation as a sorcerer and all the, you know, the things he's obviously practiced at skin changing and stuff like that, even well before, you know, well before he went North, um, he would have been aware of the, the Isle of Faces, you know, he may have uh, interacted with the green men there. So, you know, maybe his journey North of the wall was, was kind of in an effort to um, um, find out, um, more about things he might have learned from the from the green men so we've just lost yoke boys audio oh no uh, we can hear your audio no not your audio your video the other thing we lost your video <laughs> though do you think that he maybe came back to some of his previous learning and how much do you think at what point did he understand things like his sorcery like whether or not it was more about 
outsmarting everyone around him or, or legit communing with some kind of magical source. I, th- I think that he was a magician enthusiast type of thing and he got very good at it. But remember that he spent a lot of time up north with the, chi- you know, he's been in that cave and who's in the cave? The children of the forest. It's been like a long time and all he's had to, to teach him, you know, his mentors were probably these children of the forest. So, you, you know, when I when we see Cold Hands saying this ancient prayer when he kills the elk, that's probably Blood Raven. He's probably le- learned that spell and controlling Cold Hands. So you, you've got to think that he was an accomplished magician, but went into another level when when he was in the in the cave. And speaking of the cave, let's move on to talk about what might happen in that kind of enclosed environment. Because after an extremely difficult journey to the fringes of civilization, Bran and his companions reach this cave in dance. They can't really venture out. So it seems like a really important place. Why has George brought us here? What do we think will happen in in the cave? Lady Gwyn set us off and show comparisons a fair game. Uh, well, I'm going to first, you know, just what's going to happen in the cave is, uh, is I feel like, you know, we saw at the end of A Dance with Dragon, the beginning of, of what is probably, you know, going to take up a considerable amount of Bran's arc in The Winds of Winter, which is learning and how to be a green seer and training and seeing visions and all the struggles that he's going to have with uh, figuring out the ins and outs of that, some of which we'll be addressing shortly. Um, so, so yeah, visions, exposition, um, and sort of maybe his internal struggles as he learns how to negotiate this new world he's in. Yes. And it, it, it's a place of low stimulus, isn't it? It's a perfect for him to learn his new kind of craft. All stimulus has been taken away. There's, there's, there's a few people in the cave, but it's not like, there's there's a big society down there. It's bleak. It's dark, in more ways than one. So, Zach, what do you think of the the caves? It's a it's a big network. What do you think of it as a setting? I love it. I think it's so cool that when they get to the tree, that there is such a huge place underneath it because it's already such an important location. But to have potential connection to the earth and the power radiating from the planet that they're on. It seems in some strange way, right? There's these subterranean networks that we don't know about yet. We don't know what kind of life is down there. We don't know how deep it goes. I I love what you said about it being kind of a low key play, a place of low energy, which is perfect for the kind of exploration that we're doing because brand can't move around. And yet the place that he is allows his mind which is what you would use at a place of low energy to move around almost unbelievably freely. And I don't know if I, I feel like if I was there, I'd be wanting to know about, I'm thinking that if I was Mira in this case, the amount of stalking or like marching around and thinking and going deeper and deeper would be, I'd be doing that a lot, trying to see how far everything goes. Excellent. And an, another factor we can talk about around the caves is the others the others have been fairly peripheral in the story really haven't they as kind of chief antagonists but could could there be a showdown like like in the show and could that bring them to the fore of the story so we realize george isn't messing around anymore you know this this story is now about the humanity being attacked by something outside itself in the sh- in the show, they depicted a leader who was called the Night King. I'm wondering if book others would have a leader of any sort. Would he be like the Night King, or a different sort of leader, or, or no leader? What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Um, well, George seemed to debunk this idea when he spoke about the show's Night King 
being based on a character out of legend who was very unlikely to have survived to the uh, present day. Um, but, you know, that's kind of Night's King specific on it, you know, once you once you dig into it. Uh, so I'm not sure that this indicates that there won't be a leader who's someone else. Um, maybe, um, maybe there will be. Uh, but I think at least it should be clear that he won't be the 13th commander of the Night's Watch. I don't think he'll be some horn-faced guy, and I don't think he'll look or <laughs> perhaps behave like in the show or be called the Night's King. But I, I really think that there has to be a leader. And, you know, one thing from the show that made a lot of sense was the idea that you kill kill the leader of the others, and then everyone that he's turned dies too. I think that that sets up a confrontation where the, you know, our favorite characters now are Starks will have to try and take out this one guy. And, you know, to that lends itself to really good storytelling. So I'm all in favor of the others having some form of leader. It would just be a bit shapeless without them. Uh, Lady Gwyn, why don't you tell us if you think that the others will attack the cave in the winds of winter? Well, I'm interested in, you know, when we were doing our rereads for our uh, for our episode, the cave has a back door. Um, Mira asks Cold Hands if that, when they finally approach the cave, the front door, if you will, if that's the only way in. And he says to her, the back door is three leagues north down a sinkhole. So I wonder if that's um, where the attack will come. And I'm, I'm trying to think maybe in the show... That was kind of how it happened. Yeah, it was the back door. Um, so you know, it, or if that's their escape route, I, or or maybe there, maybe there just is no escape route. Maybe they're uh, uh, surrounded on all sides. Um, if they do, how does it? You know, I'm wondering how it happens in the books because in the um, in the show there was this thing that's always it reminds me of something in magic, and I think. It could be the dark mark. So talking about Harry Potter again, because I had to reference that a lot when I think about some of these like magical things. Uh, that's where my brain goes. So, um, you know, where Dumbledore had to, had to touch the, not Dumbledore, <laughs> Voldemort touched the mark on his arm and you could kind of summon um, all the Death Eaters. Um, so in the show, we saw Bran you know, somehow he allowed the Night's King to touch him and that's how he was able to bypass the, the magical warding. So curious if George goes in that direction in the books, if it's... So if there is a parallel scene in The Winds of Winter, it's sure to be it's sure to be brilliant. Let's just skip over talking about the others because with the show in mind, there's another subject I wanted to bring up. In A Dance with Dragons, we see Bloodraven essentially say that time travel is impossible. You know, Bran, it's not worth it's not worth sweating about that. And yet in the show, we saw a causal time travel loop when Bran went back and damaged Hodor's mind. So once more, is this something, this time travel element that we're going to see in the Winds of Winter? What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Well, um, I am just utterly fascinated by time travel. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, as far as the Hodor stuff goes, you know, the showrunners indicated that Hodor's name and hold the door were future plot points that had been told to them by George. Um, so I think George indicated that it's going to play out differently though. Right. Um, so I, I'm not sure just differently in terms of the scene or does he mean differently in terms of the timing or the setting? Uh, we don't really know about that, but um, I think it's interesting um, that Bran is working out how to communicate in real time um, to Theon. For instance, um, we haven't seen it from Bran's point of view yet. We've only seen it from Theon's side. Uh, but Bran has spoken to him through a tree, through the ravens, uh, or raven, singular, in Stannis's, uh, in Stannis's camp. So this um, 
This seems to be a departure from what Bloodraven has told him. Um, you know, he's Bloodraven is talking mainly about the past, uh, but he also, you know, refers to Weirwoods as having kind of no concept of time. So the past, the present, the future, they're all happening at the same time. So if Bran develops a skill of talking to someone in the present, I wonder if he would be able to also use that skill um, to make an attempt to communicate across time, which is then what causes the Hodor incident. So if this is a case of the kind of pupil outdoing the master, you know, Blood Raven set a boundary and Bran is just smashes it in the Winds of Winter. What do you think about that, Zach? You, you know, if, if he does do this thing to Hodor, what does it say? Well... I don't know if it says that Bran is necessarily stronger than the Three-Eyed Raven. I think maybe it says that he is trying something that the Three-Eyed Raven could have previously tried and is learning the same mistake for himself and that that Brendan Rivers was just trying to warn him away from trying because of the potential danger that it would be to whatever he was affecting and maybe even potentially himself. But I feel like that's almost bad advice because it seems like something that is as powerful as Bran in this case would have to, you'd have to cross that bridge at any point. But I like how he tells him time travel is not possible. And that makes me think that he's saying, Bran, you can't warp into this tree root and pop out somewhere else. And time travel is a thing, but since he can see different times, and now whisper into the same time. I feel like if he's channeling in any way to Theon, whether it's a hundred years in the past to a different person or whether it's right now to Theon, that technology is, he's like shift, he's shifted into another place already. So I think his tenacity, if the Hodor situation ends up being similar to the way it was in the show, Maybe it's an accident. It would make sense that he would be talking to someone or looking at something that has to do with his um, past, but also people in his immediate surrounding, because maybe it would seem more comfortable, but also maybe he could see results more immediately. And if that were the case, the whole the whole idea of him being able to to see things, and we can assume that the three-eyed raven has always been able to do this too, or at least since he's been there at the tree. If he can see things, he could probably think things while he's seeing them or get upset. And that's the way it was depicted in the show that they were being attacked and he was really upset and he was thinking something really insanely. And Mira was saying, hold the door over and over. And so that amount of energy, I mean, the energy in that moment is them being attacked by the night King and a bunch of whites, which is frightening. There's crazy music playing, you know what I mean? Like maybe it took that amount of of excitement. It's kind of like let's bring him back to Harry Potter. It's kind of like how you remember Neville's family is really nervous. So like he might be a squib. This is the sh- a shame because his parents were they were horrors. They were amazing. Like we can't have they have a squib kid after all that. But then being tossed out of a window or falling out of a window, I can't remember. He finally magic popped out of him and he bounced. And they were like, oh my god, yes, he's magical. Like it could be, it could be that it took a little bit of impetus for outside of his control for Bran to realize what was possible. Like I said, maybe the Three-Eyed Raven's done this before, maybe he hasn't, but in this situation, something happened. And what he did was interact with the patterns, like the waves of the neurons inside of Hodor's, Hodor's brain enough to make some kind of a change that stuck physically in that moment. So it's not time travel, but it's, it's, a granular form of communication that was concentrated enough to make a change. And I don't know if the three eyed Raven's aware of it because maybe he hasn't had that kind of stimulus before. If there's some kind of a stimulus, like I said, it happens in the show. I don't know if that kind of thing will happen in the books necessarily, or maybe it'll be a different version of that, but it makes sense that if the three eyed Raven doesn't know about it, that some kind of spike of stimulus would put brand in that situation to know that it was possible. And if that is the case, Maybe he'll recreate it later as like a last ditch effort in a way to save people or maybe even to do something that might be painful just in case it really helps everyone. Well, it's a hell of a super superpower to have young Bran. And um, 
patron Cranog woman wonders if Bran has stroke will communicate to important characters. Has he whispered to the likes of Bran the Builder or Ares or others? What do you think, Lady Gwen? Well, personally, I, I think he might see these people. I think he's going to see a lot of things. Um, but I kind of think that, yeah, a, a lot of his, that the time travel or, you know, what appears maybe to be time travel um, per se will be limited to Hodor because it's going to go badly wrong, right? I mean, I, I think he's going to realize in that moment what has happened and uh, i think that's going to teach bran why it's something that has to be avoided um he's he's been told not to do it uh by his teacher but he's he's gonna maybe you know get this confidence through the communication with theon or or whatever and and think that oh i can do this anyways um and then the hodor situation will play out and you know He'll learn a valuable lesson, which is uh, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so let's move on to this question I've got lined up. I think this is a really fun question. And I ask it to you two and to everybody listening. In Brand 3 of A Dance with Dragons, we see a burst of visions as he learns green seeing. This is no doubt setting up more of the same in The Winds of Winter, and I can't wait for this. Visions are always intriguing and a lot of fun for mystery, mystery fans like myself and probably like all of you. So what visions from history... Do you think you'd like to see in a brand chapter in the Winds of Winter? What what could we see out of all the possibilities that would be the best? Lady Gwyn, what do you think? Um, I think, well, the best, and we, we've talked about this before, a couple of weeks ago it came up, um, would be um, to see Lyanna. Um, you know, finally... I think the fact that we've seen her so far on page uh, only through Bran's point of view um, is a pretty substantial hint to us that we will continue to see her through his point of view. And we might, you know, through a series of visions, eventually get the whole story. Uh, you know, he could see her through a weirwood tree, but remember that Blood Raven told him that uh, in time he will learn to see beyond the trees. So we could really see anything any you know he there could be all kinds of um exposition on Rhaegar and Lyanna and things that happened around those times I don't think it would have to be limited to those two like all kinds of stuff that happened around the tourney and um in Robert's Rebellion so that for me I think is the uh is the gold medal winner as far as what Bran's visions might show us if if we get the Liana story and we actually see her and we, we get the story of what happened to her as a kind of, you know, one segment each chapter, it would blow my mind. And other things that would blow my mind, I would love Bran to see the last hero because remember the time Bran heard uh, Maester Lewin telling him about this? Or was it Old Nan, one of the two, maybe both? And... Imagine the last hero is Bran's like ultimate hero. Uh, 
someone from law and legend and we could see him on page it'd be a great way to sh to show what went on in the last long night some great exposition and another thought i had is we could see bran the builder you know on on the afternoon where he finished building winterfell and he's kind of got his feet up <laughs> by the godswood over there i'd lo <laughs> love that zach take it away what, what would you like to see I love those answers. First off, I didn't think about Liana in that way, but obviously she would reveal so much about the story that we don't know yet. That like human element that is yet to be really resolved. And it was always present and people that were there were aware, but like most of them are dead now or gone or in a strange place that we're not able to communicate with. They're definitely not in the POV. My answers are, uh, Anything in the Shire South of Rose, I think for obvious reasons, because I'm interested in the unknown. I'd also like to see the Doom of Valyria. Not necessarily, I don't have to learn about the inner workings of it or see pyromancers scrambling from the depths to get out before everything collapses. I just would like to understand the scale of it in relation to everything else. And whether or not something like that, uh, uh, and whether or not something like that is going to happen to under the tree like whether or not that's an opposite reaction to that same power also the birth of the white walkers i think oh th that's a real possibility zach i think you think so from, oh yeah from the tree you think he'll that'll be part of that could have been the chapter that was left out of a uh, dance here here they are and here's the way they were made and then maybe in the next chapter you see you see them come I don't know if they'll have them bouncing back uh, just to a question that you guys had before. I don't know if they'll have a leader that sticks out, but I, maybe they'll have a council or something of, of equal people. But if there is one guy, I wonder what the deal with that is, whether or not that'll be the same sort of story, whether or not the Genesis was made from the creation of one that spawned more later. But it was kind of exciting for me to see you, Yoke Boy, say definitively out loud that you think that it would be cool if that's how the story was because i think of you guys as my friends but also people that i sort of look to to have opinions about the story and i just heard you on the record say that would be cool if the white walkers you know you could defeat them by a cascading sort of element of enemies and that's cool so so that's where we are that's the taste of things that could be pretty interesting so i'd like to see that person get made also i i want to see the surface of westeros covered with Weirwood trees. I want to see that era of the planet and know. I'm imagining yeah. children of the forest just dancing gleefully. Yeah, in the moonlight yeah, but they're doing their the sacrifices. I want to see it. They're doing dark stuff, man, or whatever. See, they're so dark. Is that what it is? Are <laughs> they dark? So. <laughs> Damn it! But they're evil. Then they're evil children, or not evil, just powerful in a way that makes them so confident and they don't care about life because maybe they have an understanding that life is infinite anyway and that they're just a part of the infinite void dancing well, among the they stars they use obsidian so daggers so they weren't a 100 peaceful either they're you know great hunters or they were killing right. each other or kill you know whatever right i wonder if they were that's the thing you have to i assume you have to just like we do kill other flesh to survive at least take in other dna i don't think the children of the forest were vegan with their obsidian daggers but i might be wrong but it doesn't mean i mean because it was obsidian maybe you know they're not they didn't create a society of people that forge weapons so maybe the violence wasn't as prevalent or necessary as it is right now in the current period of westeros they could almost be less violent but it seems like just a a youthful I'm imagining blood running from their lips. It seems a little bit more insidious than the current system, but the current system is also pretty messed up when you think about it. Sure is. It's not, not very good either. <laughs> so overall, I think we're all in agreement that this could be one of the most exciting things in the Winds of Winter, seeing these visions and getting glimpses and a window into things that we would otherwise, you know, you, you know not, not really know that much about but sound intriguing so just great possibilities okay so next i want to move on and talk about friendships because it's so important in brand's story his companions brand needs physical help to protect him and also to get him from a to b on that long perilous journey 
But he also doesn't have the strongest personality in the world. So again, the companions help him out in that regard too. So what I want to know is what do we think is going to happen to Jojen and Mira? What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Well, I think <clears throat> Jojen's going to die. Uh, obviously, it will be different than it was in the show. And it already is because he didn't even make it into the cave in the show. Uh, but I, I think um, that he knows exactly how it will happen, uh, which actually put me in mind to a book of a book I read recently, which was uh, Nettie Okorafor's fantastic novel, Who Fears Death, uh, which I read for the Ice and Fire Con book club, uh, in which one of the main initiations for magicians or shamans in that world is... Um, experiencing a vision of your own death so you kind of have to go through that in order to be uh become uh fully vested in the magic of that world and we know george is a fan of, of Nettie and of this book in particular and i think that um this theme must have been quite striking to him so whether it you know whether he read wrote first and then read this or vice versa um I'm sure that he's aware of this sort of, you know, maybe connection between those two things. Um, as for the others, I do think that Mira will live um, and, you know, be on the journey with Bran back to wherever he goes after they leave, um, after they leave the cave, because I'm, I'm sure that they probably will. <laughs> Zach, we saw in the show Mira was kind of discarded. It was quite almost painful the way she was just kind of like, oh, see you later, and never heard from again. <laughs> heard a lot of other things. <laughs> so what, what do you think in the, do you think the books will be different? And it, can you see any kind of long-term story for Mira? I've, I would feel very sorry if she just vanished. Well, yeah, I, I would too. I don't know if she's a means to an end. I don't know if there's anything to the crush that Bran's forming for her necessarily either. It could be just a sort of last breaths of his humanity before he fully charges over, which would make a lot of sense. Plus, she's pretty awesome for someone like him, and he doesn't have a lot of people around him right now. So it's just almost human for George as a gardener as he's writing those stories to put it in there, because why not? Why wouldn't that happen? I don't know if it's a big indicator for for much else, but if, if Jojen does die in the tree, and it seems likely because of how interested he is in his own death then Mira doesn't has doesn't have much else to do other than help Bran and potentially deal with the falling action of her brother dying. So I feel like if they if they do it's just it's it's a what if. I don't know what's gonna happen in the tree, but if they do leave, it would be strange. I don't think about the end game with Mira Reed being a presence in the story, not because I don't like her, but just because she doesn't have that big of a presence, but at the same time she does. So I think, I don't really know. It depends on how George gardens the story because it would make a lot of sense and seem real in a way that that seems less fake than all of our best and brightest and most mainstream characters are there at the end. It would almost be even more real if someone like Mira was a part of the story and if she wasn't discarded. But I think that really depends on whether or not the what they share whether it's at the tree or the falling action after the tree, are these huge moments that neither of them can sort of separate from after that. But if that doesn't really happen and it kind of, it has already peaked, I think that they might split ways when they go back, if they go back anywhere. Okay. Interesting. So talking about, talking about the way home, you know, part of this journey we were discussing earlier, you know, the children's story, they come home and it's the same, it's the, the hero's journey. And so patron Judson Bates wonders if Bran will ever come home or else become married to a tree forever like his mentor. Will Bran come home? What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Yes, um... I guess it depends what you mean by home. I, I guess he will return to Westeros. Um, I think I, I definitely see him and his siblings kind of reuniting in Winterfell. 
uh, whether that's where they stay or not. Uh, as anybody's guess, I kind of go back and forth between a couple of different ideas about the the long game there. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think he's gonna stay in that tree forever. No, nor do I. I I think that from a story point of view, that all the opportunities are there when he comes home, and you know he's got his siblings. He's got there's so many great things that could all tie in. Sansa, Bran and Arya have all kind of gone on these independent journeys but experienced a lot of parallel things with mentors and so on. I'd love to see them back together and, you know, I'm I'm very against the idea that Bran just stays in that tree for good. Yeah. Why did Three-Eyed Raven stay at the tree? Is he waiting for Bran? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, he said he's been, I think he says uh, when he gets there, you know, I've been, I've been waiting for you. Uh, no pressure. You know, implies that, yeah, <laughs> his, he's just been sitting in his weirwood throne waiting for Bran to show Jeez. up. <laughs> so, so it's, it's sort of, it's a sort of chosen one story in its own way. And patron Elisa Faison wonders about the TV show's treatment of Bran the show gave us an ending, which was surprising for many people, where Bran was sat on the Iron Throne, king of the kind of new Westeros. Will the books head in the same direction? I know this is probably beyond the scope of Winds of Winter, but it's nice to talk about these kind of things here. What do you think, Lady Gwyn? Uh, king Bran, yay or nay? Well, I mean... I honestly would have never said yes <laughs> before a year ago. Um, I never even contemplated it, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, I think we have to accept that the end points of each character will have come from uh, George. Obviously, that's the broad strokes. How everybody gets there is um, going to be very, very different. Uh, one thing we've talked about in in past weeks is how very much story George still has to tell. And if you think about two whole books um, and then you, you consider that feast and dance were kind of like narratively speaking uh, a, a single book, you know, in terms of all of the different characters um, that's like going all the way back to uh, storm of swords and taking the, the amount of story that's in those three books is what we still have to come, potentially. So the, when we talk about the journeys being different, that is way different than Game of Thrones, the TV show, kind of cramming all of that volume into the last couple of foreshortened seasons. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very different. And I think when when we read the books... Uh, if we had never seen the show and then we get to that end point, it will make sense to us. Uh, yeah, I, so. I do agree. I, I think that, you know, I, I'm not really looking to slam on the show, but just the confinement of having to be shorter does take away character growth and things that really set these kind of plot points up. Maybe it couldn't have been avoided, I don't know. But... George really knows what he's doing, and I've got enormous faith in him. Okay, so on to the last question. This is a question for you, Zach. Patron Marianne wonders if the burden of the Weirnet could make him look to prioritise protecting the memories of Westeros over more kind of practical and mundane things. Have you got any thoughts? If it comes to that, that would be tough really tough i hope it doesn't <clears throat> i hope it doesn't come to that but i feel like if he has access to that kind of power then it probably ultimately will and so if he takes that responsibility then i think that he'll try to do a good job because it seems like that's even though he steps into potentially problematic territories i mean problematic territories with like potentially or for example what he does to hodor or if he is eating Jojen, but that kind of thing is not in his control, but who knows what he'll do later. It's her problematic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If, if, if that's, if that's a choice that he makes and he's okay with it later, then 
maybe there's better people in in that position, but maybe he's the best one for it. And if that's the case, I think that just judging by what he's done, it helps that he's a Stark and that he was raised by Ned. He's just he seems to have this compass that I feel like is trustworthy enough because he's gone through so much and he's still not bitter enough to rain evil and badness upon everyone so i think that he might make a decision to try to he might have to sacrifice things is i think what it comes to if it is difficult i don't know if it is difficult to do what he's gonna have to do if he has control of some kind of psychosphere but if it is difficult and it does take skill then i think inherently he'll be rusty and not very good at first or he won't know what to do, and so there will be things lost. And so I just think in general, it sounds like something that he's going to have to be good at, which means that there's going to have to be some kind of mistakes, and so some things may fall to the wayside. But I think in general, he'll be geared toward doing the greater good, for better or for worse. I hate to use that term because the greater good is so relative, but Brand's greater good is in line it's, with so many people we like, so maybe it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to say? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's where the final book will leave us, you know, that they could enlist Bran to be their leader. And that was the big final question mark. Is he going to be able to be a good leader and, you know, leave that to our imaginations? And we all really like Bran, don't we? So Yeah, it seems like he's... Like he's not he he's not making decisions based on a bad thing. Why else would he? He's going so far north because he feels so compelled, and he's basically being told to. But I don't know. I don't sense any any potentially negative paths yet. But if it comes to it, maybe. Okay, Zach. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on. You've been a fantastic guest this afternoon. I would like it if you could tell everyone about your wonderful A Song of Ice and Fire Stroke Game of Thrones podcast. Take it away. Uh, Game of Thrones started in 2012, still doing it. I think we're almost at 450 episodes. And the obviously the series is over, but we're... Uh, we're in the golden age of the book series right now. I could be more excited about it. I was actually thinking about that today. I was so happy that you guys asked me to come on this brand, the winds of winter discussion, because while I love talking about Jamie and Brienne endlessly, and I love that there's so many different ways that we can discuss this story for me, thinking about what's next and plotting the path forward is so exciting. And I've done that as a kid on my own for other books that I've read. I did that for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit because I didn't have access to those books because my library at school didn't have them. They only had the Hobbit. And so I, I really love that process and being for better or for worse stuck without an answer to a lot of these questions is fun because we can have these conversations and really get somewhere with it. At least think about things in a way that it's weird because we all share such a great understanding of the story together and we don't agree on things so specifically or so attached to one set of things in the real world with so many different people like we do when we talk about a story with each other, which is really cool because we can get kind of far into discussions because of it. So on the podcast, that's what we try to do. We just, we use the story as a way to discuss a lot of different stuff and it's fun to see what comes out of it. And so that's Game of Owns, GameofOwns.com. All that's there. Yeah, please, guys, check out Game of Owns podcast. It's a, been, it's a wonderful podcast for both the show and the books. You guys have been on it a yep. bunch. Always fun. Cheers, Zach. Thank you. And um want to thank all of you uh, listeners for being here uh, with us another week. This was a great stream. We want to... Uh, say hello to people in the uh, future. Speaking of time travel, we'll have people uh, listening to this uh, pre-recorded on YouTube and also as uh, we'll put out the audio on podcast version within the next day or two. So hello to you guys and thank you all for being here. Uh, next week, we will be back uh, talking about Davos with our friend Matt from Davos Fingers. Uh, we're really looking forward to that because uh, there's a lot to be said about Davos and in our uh, we did talk about him in our current episode uh, but 
perhaps if we had another hour or so, we could have really done him justice. So maybe uh, next week uh, that will be the time. So join us then and there. And uh, you can find all the details about that stuff uh, at our website. Uh, or if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, of course, uh, all the details and links to everything that I just mentioned will be there. And uh, also don't forget that we have uh, we are supported by patrons. So uh, check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Radio Westeros uh, for more information on what the benefits of being our patron are. Uh, thanks again for being here, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.